Amen. Good morning, everyone. A very Merry Christmas to you all. Glad to be here again with you on this beautiful Sunday morning, the last Sunday before Christmas. I hope you still have your plans in place, safe, and you can enjoy your Christmas day. And a special greeting to those of you watching online. Glad that you can join us online, but man, there's lots of room for you here because this is where community is. You can't replicate community online, so I want to encourage you to come down. All right, so we're going to be, uh, so get your Bible apps, fire up your Bible apps, load up Luke chapter 2, very familiar passage, especially this time of year, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 18. Again, a very familiar passage, but let's pray and hope that God illuminates our hearts to a fresh new perspective on this, this morning. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but especially in the last, I don't know, 24, 48 hours, I'm ready to hear some good news, Right? I don't know about you, but I'm ready to hear some good news, man. It just seems like, you know, that's true this time of year, uh, a regular time of year, regular time of Christmas season, but especially true these days, isn't it? But news, what is news? You know, news is some information, right? It's some recently received, noteworthy information, a report about something that happened, right? But what makes that news good? In fact, what makes that news so good that it brings you great joy? You know, like here's an example. Like, you know, you, maybe you've recently traveled, and I don't have to tell you uh, the hoops that you have to go through with that. You have to get a test, and you, you get the swab up your nose, right? And then you wait. You go home, and you wait, and then you receive word, and you receive that the test came back negative, and that's actually a positive. That's a good thing. Or, or you know, the, the news that you receive that you've been successful in your job search. Yeah, that's good news. Or the, the, the news, you know, a couple, a husband and a wife, a husband, man, wife, woman, they're waiting. They're re- waiting to receive news that they're about to become parents. And a shout out to Rachel and Matthew Rohr for that good news that they received just recently for themselves. Right? Yes, <laughs> amen. Amen. Matt, you owe me one, okay? You owe me one. <laughs> so good news. So what, what's, what's, what, are, what is the key element in all of those things? You have to wait. Pastor Paul preached that a couple of weeks ago when he, when he challenged us about do you have a weight problem? And I had to think about that. Which one does he mean? Yeah, but yeah, probably both. Probably have a problem on both of those things. But you know, you have to wait. In all of these circumstances, in all of these examples, there is that element of waiting. Waiting. For the events to unfold, right? For circumstances to play out, hopefully in your favor. But you know what happens when you wait? Some of, some of us in this room may be better at this than others. But when you're waiting, you're confronted with your own fears, your own expectations, your own desires, your own faithfulness, or in some instance, lack thereof. Because, you know, just like Tom Petty says in his song, the waiting is the hardest part. That is so true, it's so so evident in so many different ways. Today, as I said, we're going to look in a very familiar passage, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 18. We're going to see a fulfillment of a very, very long season of waiting. 400 years, in fact. 400 years of silence after Malachi had prophesied about the forthcoming, long-awaited, long-expectant Messiah. 
The deliverer, the promised deliverer was coming. God has promised, and he fulfills every one of his promises. And that you could take to the bank. The long-awaited peace and, yes, justice that was to come when the Messiah arrived. The book of Malachi ends with this kind of faint promise of a future hope. When Malachi says this, he says, quote, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of future destruction. It's Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And then you know what? You know what happened then right after that? Nothing. Silence. That's it. That was the last word from God. No prophets were sent to bring messages of hope. No angels, no kings. No deliverers. Most of God's people at that time were scattered about the the surrounding nations. It was pretty bleak. Some some of God's people had returned to the promised land. They came back with Zerubbabel and Nehemiah. But it was pretty bleak. But remember this. Right from the fall in the garden. Remember 1 Genesis chapter 1. Perfect. Sinless, the propensity to sin existed, but sin had not entered the equation yet. That comes in Genesis chapter 3. And sin mars all creation. In fact, Romans chapter 8 tells us that all creation groans for the sons of God to be revealed. So Genesis chapter 3, right from the fall in the garden, down through the ages, God promised. He promised. He promised his people that he would send a Messiah. A redeemer. He would be the light. Not only to the Jewish people whom whom he called out to be the light. Didn't do too well. But to the entire world. Jew and Gentile alike. The promised deliverer. The Messiah. Isaiah, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah spoke of that day. That very day that we commemorate this time of year. He spoke of that 700 years before it actually came. He prophesied about it. In in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, Isaiah said this, quote, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Amen. It's a promise from God. You know, there's... There's really no easy answer as to why God makes us wait. You know, and sometimes those answers, when they do sound easy, can be a little trite. There's really no easy, there's no simple way to to speed things up. Sometimes I've wished I could. You know, you can't can't revert to your two-minute drill, so to speak, and your no-huddle offense. Those of you who are football fans would know that reference. Try and speed up time. You know, time doesn't speed up when you do that. We do. There's no way. But here, take great comfort in this, especially now in the circumstance we find ourselves in. Great, take great comfort in knowing this, that God makes everything beautiful in its time. Yes. That's good news, man. That's good news that should bring you great joy. God makes everything beautiful in its time. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. That should bring you great joy. 
All right, so let me just set the framework down. Let me set the framework down as we dive into our passage here. This is Luke chapter 2. Luke is the author of this gospel, as we know. He's also the author of the book of Acts. Luke is the only Gentile New Testament writer. And he was a man of very wide bandwidth. What do I mean by that? He noticed things. He took note of things. He was a physician by trade. We, we know that. He, he tells us that. And he writes this gospel so that you would know, so that you would have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That's why he writes it. Specifically to Theophilus, and that word, that, that word translated means lover of God. But he noticed, and he takes great detail in, in telling us and writing down things that would generally be just taken for granted, perhaps. Here, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> he noticed and he wrote about groups of people who were generally often neglected by the culture of his day. Sadly to say, often neglected still to this day. For instance, women, children, the sick, the poor, outcasts, foreigners, the demonized, the lepers, enemies... Samaritans, Pharisees, and yes, even the shepherds. He writes about all that. He takes great pains. He goes to great lengths to tell us about these groups of people. Why? Because he's pointing us to Jesus. He's pointing us to Jesus. And he's reminding us and he's pointing us to Jesus' great love and interest in all kinds of people. Because he's the one who created them. That's good news. That should bring you great joy. So chapter 2 here in Luke chapter 2 starts out with a decree. It's an official order. has great weight to it. A decree that, that, that went out from Caesar Augustus. Who was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. Or Julius Caesar was his great uncle. And he had recently, this Augustus, had recently been crowned the new Caesar. So he was the emperor over the entire Roman Empire. So he had great influence. He was given the name Augustus. That's really not his name. His, his name, his birth name was Octavian. But he was given the name Augustus for a very specific reason. The Roman Senate conferred deity and godlike status on him by conferring to him this name. So by giving him this name, that was their way of telling all the citizens that this man was God himself. And that his words and his decree were the very words of God. So it came with a lot of weight to them. So he, Augustus, issues a decree that the whole world, the Roman Empire, should be registered. A census should be taken. And the whole purpose of the census was just to exact more taxes. More wealth. We need more. Then there's Quirinius. He was Syria's governor. We see that at the beginning of chapter 2. In other words, the Romans came to call this region in Israel by the name Syria. All right, so that's the macro level of what's going on. Here is the micro level of what we're about to encounter. There's a young woman. 
a very godly young woman named Mary. We're all familiar with her to some degree or another. She's probably a teenager at this point. She's betrothed or engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. Exciting. And betrothment in that, that usually was that engagement took about a year, 12 months before the actual marriage ceremony took place and they became husband and wife. So she's a teenager at this point, a very godly young woman when she has this encounter, this very special moment in her life when an angel named Gabriel now, what do we know about the angels? Hebrews chapter 1, excuse me, uh, yes, the, the author of Hebrews tells us that, that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who would inherit salvation. And at times, the angels take on human form, human flesh. And in this case, this angel is even, is even named Gabriel. So Gabriel approaches Mary with these words, Mary calls her by name, most favored of the Lord. Man. How about that? Mary, you have found favor with the Lord, Mary. <clears throat> or maybe the better way to look at it is the Lord's favor has found you. And you know what that favor, the Lord's favor is synonymous with? Grace. Right? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Gabriel is telling Mary, Mary, God's grace has found you. And it's going to be manifested in this way, Mary. This is how it's going to be manifested. You shall bear a child. The child in your womb will be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this child is the creator of the universe. The promised Messiah, Mary. To you, this has been granted. I, I, I think over time, you know, we, we've become so familiar with that story that we, we, we lose the magnitude of how significant, how, how incredible that must have been. But how frightening as well. Because she had to go now and tell her betrothed, her husband-to-be. She was pregnant. Not by an act of infidelity. No, no, no. She was a virgin. But the baby in her womb was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you think Joseph received that news? And you know what? Here's the thing about Joseph. He doesn't get a lot of airtime. But I got to tell you something, man. This man who was of the lineage and the house of David, this man had character. And he was consistent in his character. We know this about Joseph, that he, he loved and obeyed God. That he loved and led his family, and that he loved and served his community. And, and I'm going to speak to the men in this room right now, to my brothers in here, and those of you watching. Hey guys, we need to step up our game on all three of those things right now. More now than maybe in recent memory. We need to love and obey God. Love and lead our families. And love and serve our communities. Joseph was a great example of that. So there's Mary. There's Joseph. They find themselves in this instance on their way. They're in Nazareth in Galilee to the north. 
and they were traveling to Bethlehem in Judah to the south to be registered, the census, back in their ancestral home. And it is there and then that Mary gives birth to the Savior of the world. The reason why we're in this room today. That's good news. That should bring you great, great joy. All right. So let me pray and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for your good word. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us in this room right now. Those, of the, those watching online, God, that we would set aside the busyness of the season, the things that are, can just kind of encroach into our hearts and our minds and take away from the true meaning of this miraculous, beautiful season, Lord. Encourage our hearts from your word today, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. Holy Spirit, move up and down the rows of this room and those watching, wherever it might be. Draw our hearts to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, so there we go. Macro level, micro level, right? Mary, Joseph, the angels. And now there's another group that we're going to be introduced to. The shepherds. All right? Luke chapter, eight, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. says, verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. Very matter-of-fact statement, right? It seems to be. Like Luke, but he, as I said, Luke takes great length in, giving, in detailing all this information, these details. He said, in that same region, in the region of Bethlehem, on this particular night, not any different from the previous night or nights previous to that, there were a bunch of shepherds. The shepherds were keeping watch over the fields at night, over the flock. That's what shepherds do. You know, and these guys were probably not, not much different than, than us in this room right now. There was nothing significant about them, nothing to, you know, to, to write home about, so to speak. And, and, but they, they took care of the flock. They would generally have a staff. You've seen the pictures, I'm sure, like a pole, and at the top of the pole was a bit of a curve. They would have that staff. It was a long pole. The staff was used to, to bring the string sheep back in. They would also be accompanied with, or, or they would have a, a club. A big, and the club was used to ward off predators. And then they would have a little pouch, generally, and in, some, in that pouch would be some provisions, like a little bit of food, maybe a little bit of water. And that's it. That's it. But they kept watch over the fields. So they were very familiar with the terrain. They are very familiar with the sheep. In fact, still to this day, it is known that, that the sheep can, can discern the tone, the timber of the shepherd's voice. That's amazing. As was the case then, it's still the case today. But their work made them ceremonially unclean. And it kept them away from the temple for long periods of time until they could be made clean. But they kept watch over the field by night. Look at this, verse 9. So that's, he's, Luke is telling us what's going on. Then verse 9. So this, this night, not any different from any other night, becomes a very different night. Very quickly. Verse 9, then an angel, one, just one, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, not named, but this angel just shows up. How does that happen? Well, Luke doesn't tell us. 
But it could very well be that, that, that the angel descended from heaven and arrived. Or maybe just appeared suddenly. Doesn't matter. But there's the angel. And, and Luke says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Shined around them. So, so glory, you know, we, we talk about the glory. Glory of the Lord. What, what is glory? Glory is what emanates from. Right? It's like, it, it says, as cold is to snow, as the heat is to the sun, as green is to the grass, it's what emanates from. The glory of the Lord filled this, this, this region, this area. Brightness, I would imagine, brightness and spectacular vision. What was a cold, dark night is now completely changed. And, and look what Luke says, the description of the shepherds, filled with fear. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would probably describe every one of us if we were in that room at that time. Filled with fear. Filled with fear. You know, like picture like a canister or a container that's empty, right? Empty. All of a sudden, filled instantly to overflowing with fear. Kind of describes a lot of what we're going through right now, doesn't it? But on a side note here about that, this is our time right now. This is our time to starve our fear and feed our courage. Through the word of God, through God's people, and in community. Not in isolation, but in community. Come on, we can do it. So they were filled with fear. Yeah, I guess so. Then verse 10, an angel, this angel, one, just one, spoke. Spoke. And said to them, fear not. Don't be afraid. He's not, he's not condemning them. He's not scolding them. He's being gracious and compassionate to them, this angel. He says, fear not. Why? Why? Well, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angels, we talk about them. This, this, this Christmas passage is, is ripe and filled with References to the angel. You can't, you can't step into that incarnation narrative without running into the angels, right? As I said, an angel had visited Mary. An angel had also visited Joseph, by the way. That same angel that visited Mary, Gabriel, had visited Joseph to reassure him that what Mary has tell, told him is in fact true, that the baby in her womb is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by infidelity. And then that angel actually, Gabriel, visits Joseph one more time, sometime in the future, to warn him of Herod's plot to kill this baby. And they go to Egypt. But before that, before that, those two visitations, there was another visitation. Gabriel, he was very busy. He visited an older couple by the name of Zechariah and Elizabeth. The angel Gabriel first shows up in the temple when a stunned priest named Zechariah is minding his own business. He's lighting the incense in the altar. He was of the, the division of Abijah. That's what they were to do. And so it was not unlike any other time when he was to do this. And then all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up. Zechariah trembles. He's filled with fear. He's dumbfounded. And the angel Gabriel says this announces that Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, 
would soon conceive a special Elijah-like son who we know as John the Baptist. Zechariah says, as he's having a conversation with, with Gabriel, how can that be? He said, because both he and Elizabeth are well advanced in years. In other words, beyond childbearing years. And I love Gabriel. He says, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 65, Luke, again, he goes to great detail to tell us all this information. He says this, in all these things about Zechariah and Elizabeth and the, and the angel visiting them and the birth of this son, John the Baptist, all these things were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. Why is that important? Why do I share that with you? You know who resides in the hill country of Judea? Do you know who resides there? The shepherds. The shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. So this event, the birth of John the Baptist, had, five, had happened five or six months before this very encounter. So they would have heard the news. This, this incredible news of the birth uh, that, that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth had a son and the visitation of the angel, they would have heard this news. You see, so when the angel Gabriel, oh, he's not named, I shouldn't call him Gabriel, but when the angel visits the shepherds and he says, I bring you good news of great joy, the fear would have been begin to dissipate because this news is similar to that news because it's connected. There's a reference. There's a historical reference that makes sense of what they're seeing right now in the present. Fear starts to dissipate. That's why the angel said, I'm bringing you good news of great joy, which is similar to the news you would have heard, connected. These, that news and this news is connected. Oh, in fact, it's connected even further. 700 years back when Isaiah prophesied the forthcoming of the Messiah. All right, so let's go. The angel said, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news, similar to the news you would have heard. Great joy. But here's the difference. It's going to be for all people. Not just for the Jews, for the Jews and the Gentile, for Caesar, for Quirinius, for every tribe, tongue, and language. Everyone. This news is for everyone. What? Well, what is it? Verse 11. This news for all people, for unto you, for unto you, this day, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. Unto you. You know, unto, unto you means that, that something's happened. Something has occurred, that something has occurred and has been given to you. Unto you this day, something has occurred. And, and the angel says, for unto you, this has happened, has been given to you for all people is born. Has come into existence. Incredible. Christ the Lord. The promised Messiah is here. Christ the Lord. And you can imagine that maybe the thoughts going through their mind, man, where is this? This I can't wait to see. There must, there's be, there's going to be a whole lot of pomp and ceremony got to be about this. The Messiah is here. There's probably reams of people going to be there and a huge gala celebration and the red carpet's going to be, going to be spread out for this event. 
No. Not in this event. No. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. By the way, the city of David. I thought Jerusalem was the city of David, right? Isn't Jerusalem the city? Yes, it is. But Jerusalem is, is where David, when he was king, this is the place of his throne, his place of political power. Bethlehem is the city of David, is the, is the city, the town, the region where David was born. You remember the story? Samuel the prophet comes and anoints David, the future king of Israel, pours oil on him. He was a teenager himself. And you know what David was doing at that time? He was a shepherd keeping watch over the field by night. See how it's all tied together? The prophet Amos says it's the scarlet thread that ties it all together. God's word is beautiful. I love it. And this will be a sign, verse 12. This will be a sign for you, the angel says. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and swaddling clothes. I love that swaddling. I don't use that expression too much these days. I don't know about you, but you can picture a baby just in a blanket, you know, just wrapped up in clothes. And lying in a manger. No pomp, no ceremony, no red carpet. This is going to be a sign to you. Now, remember about the news? This is good news that will bring you good joy. It's connected back to the news. 700 years before that, Isaiah says this, Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. They would have been familiar with that. This news connected to the news of, of the birth of John the Baptist is connected even further back to the promised Messiah. So this is what you're going to find. Shepherds, a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now what's the significance? This is hugely significant. A manger is like, was like a trough, a structure that, that was raised above the ground. The trough was used to feed the animals. And the shepherds, during the season of birth, when the sheep gave birth to the, to the lambs, they would go amongst them and they would take the lamb that was unspotted, unblemished, and they would take that lamb and put that lamb in the manger, setting that lamb aside from the rest of it because that lamb was to be used for the sacrifice in the temple. You see that? See how it's all connected? Baby in a manger. But here's the thing. In that manger... In Bethlehem, in that moment, this is the Holy of Holies. Right here. It's not in the temple in Jerusalem. It was, it was. And, and there the high priest would go but once a year offering sacrifices for his own sin and for the sins of the nation. In the Holy of Holies, in the magnificent temple in Jerusalem. It's not there anymore. You know where it is? The Holy of Holies? Right here, in this manger, in a stable, animals nearby, sure, for certain, right here. And who is there? Is it the high priest? Is it those that are significant? You know who is being called to go and see? The shepherds, the lowly. You see that? Unbelievable, just fantastic. This will be a sign for you. You'll find this baby... Swaddling clothes, lying in a major. Verse, verse 13, look at this. 
And suddenly, like if this is not enough, if this isn't enough for them to kind of take in and to digest, and suddenly there was with the angel one, a multitude of heavenly hosts. One becomes many. Instantly. How? Luke doesn't tell us. Maybe they too descended from heaven. One becomes many. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. One angelic voice speaks, but many angelic voices sing praises to God on earth as it is in heaven. That's what they were doing in heaven, singing praises to God, and now they're doing this on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. Glory to God in the high on earth. Peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This is God's pleasure. This is it. His peace has come. God has to bring his peace. God had to come and restore the relationship that was broken with, with, with mankind by, by the fall, by sin. He was the only one who could fulfill the requirement. His pleasure, Jesus, his son, has brought peace to all who through repentance and faith receive the gracious offer of salvation. That's good news that should bring you great joy. Peace with God leads to the peace of God and now we bring peace to others. Trust in intimacy and a relationship restored with God through the personal work of Jesus Christ. Then verse 15. The angels went away from them into heaven. That's it. They're there. The glory shines around them. One becomes many, singing praises to God. Gone. Maybe they descended back from whence they came. They're gone. They did their work. They did it. The angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one, I love it. I love these guys. These are my guys. Look what they say. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Let us go. Let's go over to Bethlehem. See this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Man, why all this confidence? Look at the difference between this verse and verse 9 when they were filled with fear. Now all of a sudden there's a whole lot of confidence. Let's go. Clarity. Clarity. God has made it known through the angel, through the prophet Isaiah, through his word. Clarity produces confidence. Confidence enables hope, and hope leads to passion. Come on, let's go. I love these guys. Forthwith, let's go with haste. They went, verse 16, with haste, and they found. There's a lot of finding going on here. They found Mary, Joseph, and the baby. Lying in the manger, just as they were told. Just like Gabriel pronounced to Mary, Mary, O favorite of the Lord, Mary, 
God's grace has found you. Yet again, God's grace here has found the shepherds. And now they have found God's grace. The Apostle Paul says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For grace has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's what he's talking about. They find a baby lying in a manger. Look at this, verse 17. Love this. And when they saw it, seeing is believing, right? They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So there's the shepherds, more than one. They make their way over to Bethlehem from the field, which is not that far. Bethlehem was a small town. In the distance, they could see it. So they, they go. They go forthwith, man. They go pronto. They go there. And they're there. They find Mary, Joseph, and the baby. And they tell Mary and Joseph what was just told to them moments ago. Do you see that? Don't lose sight of that. That's an example for you and me. We need to tell people. (laughs) Yeah, we need to tell people, man. We need to tell them about the hope in Jesus Christ with passion. You're not going to believe this. Jesus is the Messiah. He has come. Christmas is the time where we celebrate God among us. Manuel, God with us. Tell people that. People are hungry for hope these days. Remember, starve your fear and feed your courage with the word of God. Let's go see, they said. Let's go see what what God has made known to us. And they tell them concerning this child. Verse 18, and all who heard it, meaning Mary and Joseph and the other shepherds who just heard it once are hearing it again moments later, and all who heard it, Wondered at what the shepherds told them. Amazed. In amazement. At what they just heard. And in verse 19 says, And Mary pondered up these things in her heart. Remember what Jesus said about heart? Pondering where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The thing you treasure the most is the thing you've given your heart to. So let me ask you. Do you believe that? Play story, right? Seen the cartoon. I've seen, I've seen the Charlie Brown cartoon a million times. I'm sure you have too. It's great. Nothing wrong with that. Nice sentimentality. But do you believe that? Do you believe the truth of this story? You, you know, here's the thing. Jesus didn't come and just, just dump a whole lot of truth into our laps and say, here you go. I hope you figure it out. See you later. No, you know what he said? He said, he's the truth. Jesus said, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Do you believe that? Jesus said that he is the good shepherd, and and, and the sheep hear his voice and follow him. And, And the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you believe that? Jesus said that that he is the light of the world, that whoever believes in him will not remain in darkness. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, who the scripture had foretold, the promised Messiah, the Son of God? Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that Jesus was born, crucified, died, was buried? Three days later, he rose from the grave, eternally victorious over all his enemies. And he will return, making all things new. As Chris Luke referred to earlier this morning in his song. That day is coming. We are in the second advent. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are saved from grace through grace alone, by faith alone, Christ alone? The gospel of unlimited, unmerited grace. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yes. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as the Holy Trinity? One God in three persons. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That there is one body, one Holy Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in, in all. Do you believe that? And do you believe that this beautiful book is the supernatural Active, living Word of God. The inerrant, holy Word of God. Do you believe that? And maybe for some of you in this room, watching online, maybe going, yeah, you know what, man, that's, that's new to me. Or that's news to me. All of that stuff, man. But, you know, I'm just not ready. It's not for me. Okay. Jesus says this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Think about that. Or, or maybe some of you in this room or those of you watching online, you say, yes, yes, I believe. Yes, I believe all of those things. I've made that profession of faith. But man, I got to tell you, man, the last few days, the last few months, the last few years, my faith has been shipwrecked. It's kind of just gone off the rails. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. The Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Yeah. So unlike that first Christmas Eve where there was no room, there was no room in the inn, there's lots of room for you here, here, this church, our church, opens wide our doors, opens wide our hearts with a greeting and an exhortation and a challenge from the Lord Jesus Christ himself when he says, come, come on, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes, that's good news. That brings great joy. But do you believe it? Ponder that in your heart. Because today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart, because today Today is the day of salvation. Merry Christmas, indeed. Join me as we close in a word of prayer.
Father, thank you for your beautiful message of hope as we celebrate the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us, Lord, indeed, we're here as a community to help and to serve and to love and to lead people to to deeper relationship and faith in Jesus Christ with each other too, side by side. Lord, Lord, help us to navigate these challenging days and to come out of this even more bold, even filled with more bravery, more confidence, more courage for the gospel message to proclaim it to the ends of the earth and right next door to our neighbors. So fill us up, Holy Spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.